The scripture for today's sermon is Mark 6, 30 through 52. The word of God speaks to us like this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were, were hardened. This is the word of God to us. Okay today? There we go. It's good to see you guys. Um, yeah, I felt like we were just listening to like the audio Bible or something like that, just kind of Sarah leading us through Scripture. Um, my name is Chad Kinser. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, one of our pastors here, and uh, we're working through the book of Mark. And so if you've got a Bible, we'll be in chapter 6, uh, the verses that were just read to us. And I'm excited to open this up today. There's a lot to cover, a lot to unpack. And uh, without any further ado, let me just pray and we'll jump into it. Sound good? Rowdy bunch here at 11 o'clock. Let's do it. All right. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and uh, we ask for your help to understand your word today. Um, and God, not just as something that we would know in our heads, we, we ask for help to understand so that we can be formed as disciples of Jesus. God, would you save us from being people who know stuff, but we're not affected by that stuff? Would you save us from being people who believe things, but we don't love the things that we would claim to believe? And so, God, I pray that you would stir affection in us, stir new faith in us, and would you, uh, would you even change us by, by the way we encounter your word today? We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I don't know if anyone uh, watches the show Seinfeld anymore. Uh, I, I like to kind of catch the, uh, the reruns as they come on TV. I feel like it, as our church is increasingly younger all the time, even to reference a show like Seinfeld is like, okay, boomer, we get it, right? Um, but, but yeah, the show is interesting because it's this, uh, it's this show that has, for those of you that know about it, it's, it's like disconnected scenes, it seems like. You know, there's just like the one scene leads to the next scene, and, and then it feels like they're all disconnected situations and circumstances, but in the end, there's this brilliant writing about everything comes back together, runs full circle, and you see how all of it ties together. I bring that up because I sort of felt like I was reading through and studying through a, an episode of Seinfeld in this passage this week, because I was trying to figure out how all of this stuff, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water and these different events that we're familiar with, how they tie together, but they do, right? Where Seinfeld, though, there's the big difference. Where Seinfeld is admittedly a show about nothing, uh, the text of Scripture is decidedly about something, about, about someone, namely the, the, the writer of Mark, or the writer of this gospel, Mark, is trying to say, hey, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. This is about someone. And we're trying to find out who he is and what difference he makes. So there's three things I want us to see today in this passage, and we'll dive right in because, again, there's a lot to unpack. The first thing I want you to see is that the kingdom of God may not always look the way we thought. The kingdom of God may not always look the way we thought. The second thing is that Jesus really is king. Even though it may not look the way we thought, he really is king. And then last today, the king is patient with his people. The king is patient with his people. Jump back in with me in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves now many saw them going and recognized them. And so they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got, ahead, got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd and he had a compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Okay, so where our text picks up today in verse 30 is back where we were a couple of weeks ago when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to carry out the ministry he had been doing. He had been rejected there in Nazareth by his own hometown crew and community. And then he sends out the 12 disciples to carry out the ministry like he had, to teach like he had, to, to care for people like he had. And then this passage opens with them coming back to report how that went. Think, things went well. It actually worked. We stumbled all over ourselves, but the mission actually worked and went forward. And if you're with us last week, from the time that Jesus sends out the 12 to the time we get this report, all of that is interrupted with the story of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who prepared the way for his ministry, being beheaded by King Herod. He was beheaded because he preached the kingdom of God and was trying to hold the king to a life of integrity when he had committed a heinous sin of <laughs> adultery, but not only that, uh, a strip tease with his wife's daughter. And so he was beheaded for holding the king accountable to those things. And so what's interesting about where this text picks up, if you consider all of the context and narrative leading into this one, you almost start to get the impression, as you've seen Jesus now being rejected time and time again, he warns his disciples that they may be rejected, although they do go out and are effective in mission. In the middle of all that, John the Baptist beheaded. You get the sense that, hey, to follow Jesus, it may mean at times we go out and we're effective. And the mission goes forward and things are successful. 
And others go out with the same kind of mission, and they suffer greatly, even to the point of having their heads chopped off. And it's this interesting moment where, like, you're even kind of brought in this invitation to consider the cost of discipleship. To be associated with Jesus doesn't just mean your life is always an upward trajectory to the right, right? You get the sense of the passage even in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 where we're told about the great people of faith, that some were great through faith and they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises. Some, by great faith, they shut the mouths of lions and they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword and they were made strong in their weakness. It goes on in Hebrews 11 to talk about all these great acts of faith, but it says there's also others who went out with the same faith and they were mocked and they were flogged and they were persecuted and some were sawn in two, or in the case of John the Baptist, he had his head cut off. I would dare say that even our brothers and sisters gathering on this Lord's Day in Afghanistan feel this text a bit differently. But here in our passage, what's happening, in the midst of all of that, the crowds are growing larger. They're growing larger, gathering around Jesus, and there's something really important that happens in verse 34 if we're going to understand what's happening around this feeding of the multitude. It says, Jesus went ashore, he saw this great crowd, and he had compassion on them. And there's this line, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always run across this verse, and it's always hit me as though, oh, I get it. The crowds are gathering, and Jesus sees the crowds, and he's like, oh, bless their hearts. I better offer them some sort of teaching, right? He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. This is a helpless group of people. They could probably stand a sermon from me, right? That's not what's happening here. What's actually happening is Jesus looks out when this line, sheep without a shepherd, he's connecting the dots of this moment back to Numbers chapter 27, the ministry of Moses. I know that the book of Numbers is like everyone's favorite book of the Bible in the room. It's got the most stars and underlines and highlights. But what happens in the book of Numbers is that Moses has led the people of God out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness, and he's about to die. This great leader of Israel is about to die, and Moses prays in chapter 27, God, would you raise up another leader after me? Would you raise up another leader to take care of the people of Israel, to go in and out before them, and to lead the congregation? And he says, so that they don't become like a sheep without a shepherd. So they don't become like a sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus sees this group on this day, and he immediately connects the dots back to Moses' prayer. Because this people are looking for a new Moses. These people are looking for a new Joshua, the one who would take over after Moses. They're looking for a new David, if you consider the line of the people of Israel. What they're looking for is a new political leader. They're looking for a new military leader who will lead them into freedom against the oppression of Rome. They're looking for a revolution. They're looking to overthrow Roman occupation. And so the people have been hearing about Jesus. They've been hearing about his teachings. They've been hearing about the miracles. And they're flocking to them, not because they understand him to be God. They're flocking to him because they think that he might be their ticket to political and military power. And so the same account of the feeding of the 5,000, the book of John, sheds some light onto this. It says that the people gathered around him and they wanted to take him by force and make him their king. They wanted to rally around together and say, we just had someone beheaded. Let's get together and let's overthrow these fools. But Jesus connects all the dots. And instead of seeing it this way, he doesn't play into their 
frenzy. He doesn't rally them for an insurrection. Instead, here's what Jesus does. He starts to teach them about the kingdom of God. He starts talking to them about repentance. This isn't a pep rally. This is something very different. And now here's where the moment takes another turn. This is the part we're more familiar with. So Jesus is teaching them. And it's not going down the way they thought. But apparently this teaching lasts all through the day, even into the night. The disciples say at one point, they interrupt Jesus and they go, hey, you've been teaching a long time. These people didn't even bring any food out here. I don't know what they were expecting. You should at least let them go home and get something to eat. Maybe they can come back tomorrow. And Jesus is like, I don't want to do that. And here's what's funny in the passage. Jesus goes, why don't you give them something to eat? Pick up with me in 35. It says, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. We're out here in the wilderness. The hour is now late. Why don't you send these people back into the surrounding countryside and villages so they can buy themselves something to eat? And Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And, he, and they said to him, this is interesting, they come back to Jesus with a little bit of spice, a little bit of sarcasm. They come back and they go, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? Which 200 denarii in their context was a year's worth of wages. Should we go take our annual earnings and feed this group of people? Because that's what it's going to take, Jesus. Is that, is that what you see fit to do? And Jesus says, why don't you go just see what we have? And they go and they come back and they say, we've got five loaves and two fish. So the story goes down. Jesus blesses it. He breaks it. And he invites everyone in the crowd that day to sit down. It says, on the green grass. <laughs> Interesting detail. Sit down on the green grass. Everyone sits down. The disciples start to take the food that Jesus broke and blessed, and they pass it out to everyone in the crowd that day, over 5,000 people. And it says that everyone ate and was satisfied, even so much so that there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now, here's what's happening. This is a group of people that were looking for a political and military rally. But instead, Jesus gives them the kingdom of God. He speaks about repentance, and then he satisfies them with the bread of life. And what he was showing them in this miracle is I know that you're looking for a new Moses. I'm actually the better Moses you're looking for, but I'm gonna lead you through a greater exodus. This isn't about political power. This is about freedom from the slavery of sin. I actually am the new Joshua that you're looking for, but I'm not gonna lead you into the promised land. I'm gonna lead you to something better, the promise of God's presence. I actually am the new and the better David. I am the shepherd king, sheep without a shepherd. I am the shepherd king from Bethlehem. You know who I am. And I am going to nourish you in the wilderness, even through this meal. But I'm also going to defeat your greatest enemy. No, not Goliath. I'm going to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And so what happens in this moment is the kingdom of God is all of a sudden looking very different to these people than they thought it initially was going to look. So that connects a dot to you and me, doesn't it? What happens when life under the kingdom of God doesn't look the way we thought it would? I grapple with this. I thought following Jesus was supposed to make my life easier. As a young man, I thought, hey, I have all this passion for God. I sense a desire for ministry. I want to jump in, love God, preach his word. I had no idea that years later, even as a pastor, I suffer with anxiety and depression. That wasn't supposed to happen. I thought following Jesus was supposed to protect me from heartache and disappointment. I thought following Jesus would make my life naturally an upward trajectory and all is well. 
How come following Jesus in the world seems to be much more of an internal struggle than I ever thought it would be? How come following Jesus in the world turns out to be much more of an external struggle than I ever thought it would be? How come following Jesus in the world seems at times like I'm more confused than I ever thought I would be? And I wonder at times, is God even real at all? And where is he when I need him most? How come this doesn't look like I thought it would? Does anyone else feel that tension? But just because all those things are true, lean in here, just because all those things are true, we're not the first ones to experience those kinds of angsts, those kinds of tensions. And it's also true that just because those things are felt and experienced, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't still a good shepherd. That's what's happening in this text. It doesn't look like what they thought, but he still shows up as a shepherd and he cares for them. What this account is all about, we've probably heard this before in Sunday schools or other sermons, and it's all about, hey, look, Jesus took a sack lunch and fed a bunch of people. Isn't that cool? What this text is actually here to show us is it's very different than what we imagined it to be, but that doesn't mean that it's not coming in power, coming in reality, and coming in truth, even if he's not meeting all of our expectations. Because what's happening here is all of a sudden Jesus is the live technicolor embodiment of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and so I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures on the green grass. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. Even though in that psalm is being written in the midst of chaos, I thought it was going to be different if God was on my side. But even in the midst of chaos, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, it says, for his namesake. And even though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, even though it doesn't look like what I want it to, because he is with me. And even in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table for me, and he feeds the multitudes. You see it. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God, even though it doesn't look like what they thought. How do you act? How do you respond when it doesn't look the way you think it ought to? And this moves to the second piece. Jesus really is the king. Like He really is the king. If there is any doubt, he really is the king. After the crowds are fed, here's what happens. Jesus puts the disciples in a boat. He says, go on to the other side. He wants some alone time. Jesus needs a little bit of me time. It's been a busy day. The crowds have gathered. He's fed a bunch of people. He wants to relax a bit. He goes up on a mountain to pray, sends the disciples out on a boat. Now, apparently, a lot of hours go by, enough hours that it was late, and now we're in the fourth watch of the night. So by the way that we tell time, this would have been around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Jesus gets done praying, and he sees his boys out on the boat. And they're trying to row to the other side like he told them to, but the wind is strong against them, and they're not really getting anywhere. So he thinks, I'm going to go help out, help out the guys. Pick up in verse 48. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. This is about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them. It says, walking on the sea, walking on the water. And then there's this line, he meant to pass by them. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Of course they were. But then 52 is a crazy line. 
for they didn't understand about the loaves. <laughs> okay, Jesus has just walked on water. He's just walked to them on the water, and they're like, hey, back to the loaves. It's an amazing line. What about the loaves? And it says their hearts were hardened. There's so much going on here. I want to try to pull this apart. Jesus is king. So he starts walking on the water out to them. And then there's this line in 48. It says he meant to pass by them. Have you ever caught that line? Like what is that all about? Like he saw them struggling against the wind. So I'm going to go down there and help them. But he meant to pass by them. Like I'm going to walk on water and go, hey, guys, good luck with all that. I'm just taking a stroll here at 3 a.m. on the water. Normal. It's a crazy line. There's been a lot of ink spilled on this line. I actually read all about it this week, and it was trying to figure out what, what actually is going on here. There's something really important. So it's what scholars call a theophany. A theophany is this moment where God manifests his presence and his power in a unique way to show off his godness, his presence, and his, his power with his people. So you think of like um, in Exodus chapter 3 of the burning bush. That would have been a theophany where God gives a physical, visible representation of his presence with Moses there and he speaks to him, right? But there's two other theophanies in the Old Testament that give shadow as to what's happening here with Jesus. In Exodus 33, Moses says, God, I want you to show me your glory. And God's response is, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. You can't see my face, Moses. But I'm going to cause my goodness and my glory to pass by you. Three times he responds to Moses, I'm going to pass by you. And this expressed experience of God's presence and power with him. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elijah, he's looking to hear the voice of God. And so he goes out in the wilderness and there's a big earthquake and he's looking for the voice of God in the earthquake. Is it in the earthquake? And it's not there. And then he's looking for the voice of God in the great windstorm that comes and it's not there. And then there's a great fire that comes. He's looking for the voice of God in all these massive events that are happening around him and it's not there. And then it says the voice of God comes in a quiet, small voice and it passes by. And so what's happening here when Jesus says he meant to pass by them is not just stroll past them, good luck with all that. What he's doing is he's trying to pass by them with this theophany, this moment of expressed power and presence to show them I'm not just another rabbi because they're still not convinced that he's God. They're just following him because it seems like the best idea in the day. He's showing them I'm not just another rabbi. These aren't just cool tricks. These aren't just great teachings. I am God. But they miss the whole thing because it says they see him walking and they freak out like, that's a ghost, we're going to die, the wind is crazy, and a ghost is now walking among us. But Jesus responds, and here's how why we know it's an expressed moment of Jesus as God. Because he says, take heart, it is I, directly translated from the Greek, I am that's the covenant personal name that God has given his people since the Old Testament, that I'm not God out there, I am God right here, and I'm not who you want me to be, I am who I am. I am with you, and be not afraid. Be not afraid. And so for some of you, you need to hear that today. This account isn't here just because, hey, Jesus did another cool trick, he walked on water. That's not what this is about. 
He walked on water because he's God. And in a moment when it felt like the disciples were abandoned and alone, he shows up and he says, I am. Do not be afraid. Some of you are here today and you feel distanced from God. Some of you are here today and you feel abandoned from God. Some of you are here today and you feel passed over by God. And Jesus responds and he says, hey, take heart. I know you're anxious, but take heart. I am. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. You might feel far from me, but your feelings aren't true. I'm true, and I'm here. I'm here. Jesus really is king, even if it doesn't feel like he's king in the moment. His kingdom really is coming, even if it's different than what we thought it would. And then lastly, the king is patient with his people. The king is patient with his people. What's interesting about this whole passage, these, this marathon of scripture that was read to us today, is there's this subplot happening behind all of the stuff that Jesus is doing. And the subplot is the disciples are totally clueless. They are stumbling all over themselves like, <laughs> like idiots the whole time. It's a comedy of errors by them. Jesus is showing his supremacy. He's showing his greatness. And then they get sarcastic with him about the food. You give them something to eat. Where are we going to get the money, Jesus? They're clueless. They completely miss the unique moment, the theophany of his power and presence, that he is God, not just some other guy to follow. And even after the storm is calmed, Jesus physically sitting in the boat with them, they don't even want to talk about what just happened. They go, the loaves again? The loaves. Can you explain how you did that? What's interesting is Jesus is patient. He doesn't cast them off. He doesn't disregard them. Can I get a new 12? Can I get a new group, please? He doesn't do that. He's patient with them. He works with them. He stays with them. Hey, listen, this is really good news because the same is true for us. We stumble all over ourselves in the life of faith, don't we? We get a little, a little sassy with Jesus. We get a little spicy with him. We come back at him when things don't look the way we want them to. We completely miss the point so much of the time when he shows his faithfulness, but yet we go, yeah, but why not this way? And Jesus is patient with us. And what's interesting about all this, the reason he's patient, here's the big finish. The reason he's patient is because Jesus didn't come to have a hostile takeover of the world. That's what the people wanted. And he's like, no, it's not going to go down that way. He also didn't come with a hostile takeover of your life and mine. That's not how you became a Christian, that he flexed his power and you're like, oh, don't kill me. That's not how it went down. Jesus came to bring change in the world, but he did it through vulnerability and kindness. He did it through vulnerability and kindness. The reason that Jesus came to bring change, or the way that he came to bring change in the world is just like he fed the crowd on that day, he blessed and he broke. That's how he's come to bring change in the world. Think about the cross. Jesus is dying at the hands of sinful men. He's dying for sinful men. And even in the moment of being pierced there on the cross, he blesses. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he says that while he breaks. He blessed 
and he broke. He was broken for our sin. He was broken in our place that we might be blessed with life, new life, release to the Father. And so check this out, right? It's not, this is the amazing thing about Jesus. Not one of us in here have been led to believe on Jesus, and not one of us here that don't believe in Jesus but led to even attend to give him a hearing today, not one of us is led to Jesus because he flexed his power. But every one of us are led to Jesus and led to repentance because of his kindness. Who is this? Who is this man that comes to feed, to nourish, to protect, to guide, to lead? Who is this man that comes to be patient with me? Who is this one God who would be broken in my place? So I want to leave you with a couple of questions as we wrap up today. Where in your life does living a, where in your life does living as a Christian not look the way that you thought it would and you're tempted to look somewhere else? I feel that. Places in my life when the Christian life isn't playing by my rules and I'm tempted to look somewhere else and do it my way and I'll get back to God whenever he wants to play by my rules. The question Where in your life does living as a Christian not look the way you thought it would and you're tempted to look somewhere else? And here's the second. Consider the kindness and the patience of Jesus with his disciples. Where is Jesus being kind and patient with you? And what's your response? Where is Jesus being kind and patient with you? Hey, listen, even in places where you're not being kind or patient with yourself, That's not how Jesus is to you. What's your response? Let's pray. Jesus, would you please help us? Would you please protect us from being people who would hear your word and then walk away unaffected by it? Would you help us to be people that come in contact and encounter with your word And we're drawn out to consider that you really are the king. And we submit to you that it's your prerogative that the kingdom would look exactly the way you want it to, not play by our rules. And Jesus, we want to say thank you for being patient with us. Would you please form us? Would you please shape us? Would you change us by your patience with us? We want to confess what the church across the globe is confessing today and every Lord's Day. Jesus is Lord. We offer this prayer in his name. Amen.